And you're listening to Season 7 of the Afropop Close-Up Podcast, where we go beyond the music into politics, religion, history, and culture. In this episode, frequent Afropop mixer Zubin Hensler catches up with three members of the band Ladama at Studio 44 in Brooklyn. Since meeting in 2014 at a residence he called One Beat, the members of Ladama have crafted a multi-hyphenate ensemble as focused on socially engaged educational programs as on musical innovation. This conversation focuses on the roots of this unique group in folk traditions from Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil, and the United States. Along the way, we'll get to hear some live examples of their instruments, as well as a short performance as a group. Take it away, Zubin. Hello, hello, mon fer pandola. A one, a two, a one, one, two, three, four. I've been lucky to know and work with the members of Ladama for many years, so I know firsthand what an inspiring group of musicians they are. The full story of the band has been told many times. I highly recommend checking out their TED Talk and a recent piece by Latino USA. But for this conversation, I wanted to dig deeper into the formative musical experiences of the members and get a better sense of what traditions they grew up in. I was also curious to find out how their backgrounds impact their music-making process as a group. Overall, I just really like these people, and it was so nice to get to chat and hear more about their journey. Unfortunately, Lara, who you're hearing sing right now, was out of town, but here's my chat with Daniela, Maria, and Sarah. So uh, I, w- I would love to start by asking each of you to just describe a little bit about your background, your musical background. Um, so how you first started playing your instrument, what kinds of music you studied, what sorts of educational institutions you had, did you have a teacher? Um, I'm just kind of curious what the traditions you come from are. Uh, so let's start with Maria. Great. Uh, my name is Maria Fernanda Gonzalez Olivo, but people call me Mafer Vandola. So that's my artistic name. I play a traditional instrument called bandola llanera from Venezuela. And I learned how to play this instrument in a city that I didn't born, but I grew up in there. Guanare is the city that I grew up. So the when I started learning music, I learned with Professor Carlos Hidalgo. The music that I learned with him was Joropo. And the Joropo is a cultural expression that is connected to the music that we play, the food that we eat, the way that we dance, the way that we talk, and the way that we gather. I would like to mention that it's a three-ethnic expression because we have the root of the African um, people who was brought forcibly from Africa to work in Venezuela, and the native people that was living in Venezuela in in their territories, and the connection with the European that were controlling both of those cultures. It's important for me to explain first that Joropo started as a protest, as a joke to the Europeans that were controlling the native and the African people. So what happened is when they play waltz, they were really like, uh, like, bum, 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 b
boom, and then somehow now we have melodies that are strongly rhythmically talking and fast and I'm gonna just play a little bit the same If I play that as a joropo, it's like... Can you explain a little bit more about the joke, like the nature of the joke? Yes, it was about exaggerating the waltz, exaggerating the movement, exaggerating the way of, of like smile or even move the body. So um, it, that's why we says or we recognize that horopo as a resistant, like an expression. Wow, that's so cool. Um, so I think you also played violin, right? Could you talk a little bit about what it was like to learn these really different traditions at the same time? So, like, in parallel, I was learning classical world. So everything around me was about that, but also understanding um, the music that I was playing and the skills that I was receiving from both worlds. So both of them give me context to understand that were differently important and differently necessary in my musical world. And that gave me the opportunity to develop skills about listening and honoring somehow through the music and feeling and not getting somehow like really attached to something. It was more about one gave me the structure and the other one gave me about the feeling and the listening and how to listen to the nature and think about a melody because of the nature. I mean, that kind of context that could be abstract somehow for one of the oh the other one but actually they give me that tool wow beautifully said um daniela could you tell us a little bit about your background mm, my name is daniela serna i'm the colombian in la dama <laughs> i play latin percussion and i started my musical education when i was six years old i started to study every single saturday in the afternoons i was having one hour of guitar, then one hour of singing, and then one hour of percussion. And the school was named Nueva Cultura, which means new culture. And it was a very alternative school where the creators and the teachers were very much interested and aware of the importance of traditional music. So since I was a kid, I was going to school to sing cumbias or Latin American rhythms in general. So I felt I was privileged to have like a really good musical education in terms of being aware of all the music that we have in South America, at least. And later on, when I went to music school, I studied Latin percussion. So my main instrument were like congas, timbal, bongos, guiro, tambora, dominicana. Like you go through Cuban percussion, 
Puerto Rican, Dominican percussion, a little bit of Colombian, but to be totally honest, at college I didn't have like the Colombian percussion education that I deserved. <laughs> um, but Emil Pacheco, who is a very important bullerenguero singer, like a tamborero master from the coast, he came to my university and he did a bullerenga workshop, and that was the first time I heard about his music. I went to the workshop, I learned my first fandango rhythm, I volunteered myself to join the circle to learn, and that was like my first bullerenga experience, and my first approach to tambor alegre. That's my main instrument, what I've been playing and studying for 16 years, the thing that I love the most. And tambor alegre, it's Colombian, it's the traditional drum in the Caribbean coast. So I was doing music school, but simultaneously I was going to the street Caribbean music school because that's the best way to learn bullerengue, cumbia, mapale, gaita, tambora, and all the traditions. Because when you go to the territory, you understand it's not only about music and it's about community. Could you talk a little more about bullerengue, like the history of it and the significance of it? Yeah, Bullerengue comes from the Caribbean coast, and I would always think about a timeline for Colombian traditional music in the coast, and I would say Bullerengue is the oldest. Bullerengue is the abuelo, like the grandpa of the rhythms. It's like blues in the U.S. Like, you don't have jazz without blues, right? Like, it needs to happen. So you don't have cumbia without Bullerengue. Because when you talk about cumbia, you talk about three ethnics, Spanish, African, and indigenous, right? Like it's all of the elements at the same time. But Bullerengue, it's 100% Afro-Colombian. It's only drums and voices. It talks about daily life, uh, quotidianity, kind of adventures, like making coffee. That's a Bullerengue. It's raining. That's a Bullerengue. A love song. That's a Bullerengue. And it's all about improvisation. This is a cool thing that, because I was going to music school, I was going to Yerenge school too. I was like, this is jazz from the improvisation aspect. But yeah, the beautiful thing about Yerenge is that it's about resistance and resilience of black communities and how they fought the colonization. And until today, this music, it's about their resistance and how they treasure their culture and how community it's important for them in a way that's very different from people like me from Bogota so yeah that's a little bit of the Bullerengue <laughs> wow beautiful yeah could could you play a little or yeah. just show Bullerengue. a little of what it sounds like sure you want just the tambor or maybe we can do like clapping to, yeah. to can you and the, the maraca too to sound the voice yeah sure you wanna al double tempo and palmas you have a double si so llamador would be upbeat and tambor alegre would be one two three Thank you. 
No, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, Sarah, um, could you talk a little bit about how you grew up? My name is Sarah Lucas, and I am primarily a vocalist, and I play guitar. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. It's I like how Maria explained her story. I have a similar thing where I had two concurrent, concurrent musical educations. I also love what she said about context and getting tools for understanding what you already knew. It's awesome. Um, anyway, so I had two concurrent musical educations. One was a classical guitar education. And I had private lessons, and I had a wonderful teacher. I had a couple of wonderful teachers. That's great, because I had a great mentor growing up. But that was a very, like, you know, it was a solitary thing. I would, you know, play alone in my room, and then I would go and have lessons. And that's kind of like the repertoire for that instrument is like, you know, you're your own island. But what was interesting, I think it's it's funny, I didn't even realize this till today, but most of contemporary modern classical guitar repertoire comes from the Caribbean and South America. And so a lot of the composers I was learning to play were actually from Brazil or Cuba or Paraguay or Argentina. And so I was listening as an adolescent in Missouri to a lot of Brazilian music. You know, I was listening to Villalobos and playing that and Barrios and Brower, Leo Brower. And I loved that music and a lot of that repertoire incorporates traditional music of cultural manifestations of all those respective cultures. My other musical education growing up was rooted in the black music of America, specifically the South, and that of St. Louis. And that is blues and jazz and uh, freedom songs and R&B and, and gospel and, and all of it. I grew up really in the thick of it as a white minority at my public school. And I had an incredible public school musical education. And I learned, you know, I would go to choir, you know, I'd be seven years old and we were learning all the great freedom songs that the civil rights leaders and the SNCC singers were singing. And we would perform those as part of our education. It was just what we learned and it was incredible. And so I grew up like Dani, Maria and Lara, of course, learning how to hear and to listen and to improvise and to trust my ear and to play collectively within um, a Black musical idiom. Was that part mostly vocal and the guitar mostly classical? Like, did you ever play guitar One, in the more blues gospel stuff? Or? Oh, it was totally separate. Wow. I, it, I was just singing. I did not sing and play guitar at the same time until, until actually my fourth year of college when I, I dumped conservatory. And, and finished as an Africana studies major, I went back and did my thesis on a, a blues musician in St. Louis. And that's when I started like kind of trying to play what I heard on the guitar. But that didn't come till I was like 20. It was something I had to kind of like go back and sit in like guitar shops with guys and be like, hey, how do you do this? <laughs> you know, and I like when I was in my 20s, I was like, wait. <laughs> But when I was younger, my parents, you know, they took me to blues clubs and I would sing in blues clubs. But yeah, like I, re I definitely grew up with the like, there was the choir gospel aspect where you learn how to harmonize and sing within that um, context. But I also grew up with that like very American jazz blues thing where there's one singer and everyone answers the singer and you have to know the form. And you control the band, you like control the form, you control 
like you know the the call and response. There's not voices in jazz and and blues necessarily that respond. It's the guitar. The guitar responds to you. You know, it's like like you sing a line. Let it rain days. You, the guitar responds to that. So it's not like it's a different way of the manifestation of call and response in that kind of music is different. And so. Um, yeah, so like the collective community aspect was not actually like the blues and jazz. It was it was more the sync. It was more the qu- the choral the choral music. If that makes sense. Interesting. So just to start talking about the band, I mean, Sarah, you're probably the one with the most different background amongst these musicians. What kind of challenges did you run into when you all started learning how to be a band? Well, first of all, just learning how to sing in Spanish. When I didn't speak it, that was crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really hard and awesome and really exciting. What a way I to mean, learn a language. Yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense when you love music. You're like, well, this is the, the way to learn. But it's not even just about learning the language. It's about learning a, a whole other form of expression and a whole other way to make sound. And um, I was given permission by the ladies to phrase in ways I'd never phrased music before. So if I were to think about our song Confession, which is the first song that we wrote together, the second verse goes, Soy una mujer, tengo sueños, estoy casada con el destino. That's like two notes, right? And it's like 10 words <laughs> and like a lot of syllables. And I never sung like that. Usually I would take like, um, you know, three words and sing so many notes because that's the training I had. Grew up worrying a note. So if you thought about um, a blues song, maybe like "When It Rains Five Days," "When It Rains Five Days," five syllables, five words. When it rains five days. It's a completely different way of phrasing something. <laughs> You're expected to go to that place with the phrasing. It's the opposite in a way in terms of thinking about rhythm and thinking about vowels and, and um, improvisation because I improvised that. So that's a huge transition. I feel like I'm still really learning so much about how to sing and use Spanish as a way to vocalize ideas still. Wow, cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear anything else about those early days of the band and trying to find your way through these challenges. It's, it's beautiful because each of us have an interesting beginning in the band. Even if we were together, touring together, traveling together, composing together, we perceive every day differently. And we were assuming stuff at that point that later on we understood, oh, we are not in the same page. And we have a really intense conversation kind of a fight at some point about missions and ideology and future and philosophy of the band because of course music um, could could go beautifully and straightforward if we start jamming in a circle but somehow when you have to talk about something that kind of represents the total um, that can be something like I don't think that's me So so the challenge is like to understand your place for me somehow like what is my place here but it's interesting because I already trust them I don't know that's weird Uh, it's just like I feel somehow like I don't understand but I trust them (laughs) so I I don't and then fight and then learn also about keep the project 
and understand that my fight, it was about one small idea, but I'm here because I'm part of something bigger. And because of the bandola doesn't sound right or beautiful right now, and this song doesn't mean that I'm a bad musician. And what we play here is to control our ego somehow and not feed it. Don't give it food <laughs> and keep it like in the right side somehow. Um, because that's what makes this song what it is. You have to have a sense of humor about it, you know, and, and, and learn to not take yourself so seriously. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I didn't or I haven't because <laughs> <laughs> maybe something <laughs> because, uh, you know, you, you have to learn how to not take it so seriously. <laughs> I, th I think that was a big lesson. You can still think something sounds terrible and in this context, but like you might not be right at all. <laughs> If that makes sense, like you don't, so you can't present it like, oh, that sounds terrible. You just have to be like, okay, I need to listen to that and think about it more and try and understand what's happening, you know, or something like that. But does the double source weapon of La Dama, where that was a challenge, right, back then, but also that's why our band, you ask about challenges. And of course, we argue and we had discussions in the beginning. And I think we still do. We have that by now. We understand that's part of being what we are. It's not like that's going to disappear after 10 years being together. It wouldn't be as exciting, you know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits. Also, the fact that we are open to learn from each other's cultures. So if I'm talking about Buyerengue or Cumbia, they're so open to learn about it. They did. They went travel to, the con to my country to see it with their eyes. And now they can talk to you about Colombian culture. And I think that's important because as a musician, when you are in a project, sometimes you're just doing your part, kind of. But there's no like interconnection necessarily we have like an, a strong connection in terms of like i can talk about janeta music and i can talk about african-american music history from what sara has shared with us daily so there's a lot of benefits with the challenges too big thanks to the members of ladama for making time for this interview It's clear that there's a lot of great music ahead for this band, so check them out and stay tuned. <laughs> this Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep the series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. I'll leave you with a short performance Ladama gave towards the end of our session. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Zubin Hensler.
se quema, se quema, se quema, se quema, se quema, se quema, se quema.